Well, to kick things off this morning, we're going to start with some audience participation. And so if you have your phone with you this morning, please take that out. If you'd open up your camera and then please point it at the QR code. And that should take you to the first question of a four-question survey this morning. I'll give you a second to get there. Okay, some of you are there. Good. Go ahead and start. We'll start with this first question. Best place for pizza here? Don't overthink it because we're going to have to move quickly through these questions. All right, we're moving on to question two. Looks like... Result was uh, Pizza My Heart, number one, followed by Blue Line, followed by Round Table, followed by Mountain Mikes. All right, most awesome Avengers character. All right, moving to number three, close race on that one. Favorite Bay Area sports team. Yeah, I didn't put the A's on there because they are moving to Vegas, so I'm sorry uh, for all you A's fans out there. All right, uh, Warriors looks like are the winner. All right, last question. Most noteworthy miracle of Jesus based on these options. All right. Hey, thank you for participating. First three questions have no real relevance this morning except for us to identify just kind of the weirdos in the audience. All right. So the non-weirdos in the audience, here's how they answered these questions. Uh, pizza My Heart, uh, not Pizza My Heart, but Blue Line Pizza, followed by Spider-Man, uh, followed by any option other than the earthquakes, because I think we can all agree that soccer is an activity, it's not a sport. Uh, okay. So let, let me ask you, how, how'd you do? How, how'd you do at the quiz this morning? Uh, how many of you got them all right besides me? Anybody? A couple of you. All right. One at the back. Good, good. All right. And Linda. All right. So we know uh, who's... All right. Good. That's, that's good. All right. Fourth question. It leads us into our text for this morning. John chapter 6, verse 1 through 13. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, 
That is the Sea of Tiberias. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had had, all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Of the miracles that were mentioned on the survey, I would argue that this is the most noteworthy miracle of Jesus. And let me explain why. This is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that is mentioned by all four of the gospel writers. And that says something to me. But why? Why would all four, all four gospel writers make note of this particular miracle? Was it more impressive than the rest? Not really. I would also argue that Lazarus being raised from the dead was just as inspiring, if not more awe-inspiring than this particular miracle. And I think most of you would agree because that was the number one vote-getter this morning among those particular miracles. So, so why? Well, here's the case that I would make. All four gospel writers knew they had to include this particular miracle in their account because this was a defining moment in Jesus's ministry. A defining moment. How so? Well, the Jewish people had been waiting for a long, long time for a promise that was made by Moses to be fulfilled. The promise that I'm referring to is mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'll read verse 15 and then verse 18. We read these words. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. And he will tell them everything I command you. So when the famous crowd witnessed Jesus pull off this miracle, they were absolutely convinced that he was the one that was prophesied by Moses centuries prior. We go on to read in John 6, verse 14 and 15. Again, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. What was it about this miracle that so convinced them? 
This miracle of Jesus brought to their minds Moses providing manna for those hungry Israelites out in the wilderness. It's immediately what they thought of, and yes, Jesus was acting like Moses. He was walking in the footsteps of their greatest prophets. Caught their attention. They're just kind of blown away by this. This crowd is just so convinced at this point that Jesus is the promised one, that he's the one that can truly fill our hunger, that he's the one that can not only do that but also provide us security, that he's the one that can make sure that we begin to flourish as a nation again, that they make a decision, we're ready to crown this guy as king. Like, he's it. He's the one Moses has been talking about for so long. So they're very enthused, excited, ready to make this decision. But then that enthusiasm, it goes away real quickly. And why is that? Well, because Jesus, when he gets done with this miracle, he shares a message, and it's a message that it just doesn't sit well with them. What's the message? Here's his message, John chapter 6, verse 35, and then verse 40 through 42. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about Him because He said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can He now say, I came down from heaven. The crown says, hey, listen, we're, we're cool with you being a prophet. We're even cool with you being a king. But if you're going to start claiming divinity, uh-uh. We can't stomach that. And so this is a point that's significant because all of a sudden you see, here's a defining moment. Here's a turning point in which people make a decision. Am I going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ or... Or, hey, Kev, I just kind of been hanging out here. Am I just kind of a hanger on with Jesus? We read in John chapter 6 and verse 66, from this day many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why do all four gospel writers mention this in their individual accounts? I believe it's because they wanted every person who was hearing this story then and also today to come to this point of decision. Who are you going to be? Are you going to be a follower of Jesus, or are you just going to be a consumer of Jesus' goods and services? Or as Kyle Eidelman, preacher, author, kind of made popular a number of years ago, you're going to be a fan, you're going to be a follower. Wh which one are you going to be? What, what's your decision? Because you've got to decide one way or the other, which way are you going to go? If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to participate in his work. You can't read this story without being reminded of that reality or that truth. Did Jesus need the disciples to help him out to pull off this miracle? Of course not, right? He had it completely under control. But at this particular moment, he's setting an expectation for his disciples, and his expectation is this, is that when you see a need that exists around you, you do something about it. You don't just offer advice. You don't just give suggestions. This is something, though, the, this, the disciples, that, that wasn't their natural inclination. Their first impulse is what? Their first impulse is to send the hungry crowd away. Now, John, in his gospel account, his story, he doesn't really highlight this for us. 
I'm not sure why. He just kind of moves past that point. Mark in his gospel, though, he does. And so let's read it from Mark. Mark chapter 6 and verse 35 through 36. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, clearly, the disciples, they're concerned about the crowd. They don't want them to go hungry. They're just not concerned enough to get personally involved. Why? Well, let me offer a couple of possibilities this morning. This is more conjecture on my part than explicitly stated in the text. But I believe a strong argument can be made that one of the reasons that they're not initially uh, interested in getting personally involved is because they're just flat worn out. They're just they're exhausted. The text says they've traveled all the way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Why? Because they're trying to get away from the crowd. The crowd who's making a lot of demands upon their time and attention. And they're, they're, they need some rest and relaxation. So they get to the other side of the, the lake, and who's waiting on them? The crowd. The crowd's waiting. The crowd's ready to make more demands of Jesus as soon as he steps off the boat. And so after another full day and a string of full days, they're ready to send the crowd down the road. You ever have days like that? You ever have days where the thought of meeting another need is just, I mean, you're not sure you can do it. You walk in from work or you spend all day with the kids at home and there's just one more request and you're like, ah, I don't, I'm tired, I've been busy, I've been stressed, I'm worn out, I just need some downtime. Yeah, we all have those days, right? And there are days, there are days when the very best you can do is point people in the right direction. But this story also reminds us that Jesus expects us to be participants in his work, not just pointers. The truth is, there are some of us who have become really, really good pointers. A need presents itself, and we're quick to point people in the right direction. We point them, well, you ought to go to a church, or you ought to go to this organization, or you ought to go to a minister, or you ought to go to a ministry leader, but we don't get personally involved. And Jesus, I think, is highlighting something very different for us that we need to get involved. And perhaps what some of us need to hear more than anything else this morning is what Jesus said to his disciples when they began to point people in the right direction or where they could possibly get food. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 6 and verse 37, you give them something to eat. Don't just offer suggestions. Don't just give advice. Get involved. Take responsibility. Do something. And yes, there are occasions where for your own welfare, all you can do, or in the moment, all you can, you can say, no, I, I, I don't have it. I, I can't give it to you right now. But we should be saying yes far more often than we say no. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that when you see a need, you meet it, or at least you meet it to the best of your ability, which leads me to the second reason that I think they were hesitant to get personally involved, and that is 
They didn't really believe that they had anything to offer. There wasn't anything that they could possibly do. This was the conclusion that Philip was quick to share when he did a quick crunching of the numbers, right? John chapter 6, verse 7, again, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have even a bite. He's saying this, this problem is way too big for us, Jesus. It's too much for us to handle. Don't we feel that way? So often we look around and see all the needs that exist within our world. And you don't even have to do a quick crunching of the numbers most of the time to realize that we don't have the time, we don't have the energy, we don't have the money, we don't have the knowledge, we don't have the, the energy, the people, the organizational skills to, to really put a dent in things like world hunger and teen suicide rate and homelessness and addiction issues and broken families. There's just no possible way. And so often, what do we opt to do? Well, we do what Philip does. We, we don't do anything. So often, at least, that's what I do. A ministry opportunity presents itself, and I, I, I just I, I don't get involved at the moment because I don't, I don't think I can handle it. I don't, I don't think I can fix it. I can't, I can't solve the problem completely. But here's the good news this morning is Jesus isn't asking us to solve the problem. He's just asking us to act in faith. And so he says in verse 5 and 6, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd among them coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Do you know what the biggest need was on this day? It wasn't food. It wasn't money. It was faith. There was an absence of faith. It's kind of mind-boggling in a way. These men had watched Jesus turn water into wine. They had watched him heal a little boy who was on the verge of death with just a word. They'd watched him enable a paralytic be able to walk again in so many amazing miracles. But on this particular day when they saw a hungry crowd... It didn't even cross their mind how these people were going to get fed. And I think here was the issue. They were so focused on what they didn't have that they completely lost sight of the miracle worker that was in their midst. And it's so easy for that to happen to us, isn't it? We get so focused on our lack of time, our lack of money, our lack of energy, that we lose sight of this greater spiritual reality. And maybe what many of us need to hear most this morning, what needs to happen most in our life this morning, is what Paul prayed for the believers at Ephesus. We need our eyes opened. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. What a beautiful reminder that Jesus is alive. Jesus is with us. And his resurrection of power is available to us. 
And because this is truth, because this is the reality in which we leave, live, there is no reason for any of us to have a scarcity mentality. You suffer from that at times, just thinking you never have enough. As long as you have Jesus, you have more than enough because you have his resurrection power. My question is, do you believe that? See, they, I think this is one of the things this miracle is pointing to that John is leading us to, that he wants us to believe that as long as you have Jesus, there's more things that you can accomplish in this world than you can begin to dream or imagine. And notice Jesus didn't invite Philip into this situation because he needed, he needed direction or he needed money or he needed anything else from Philip. He invited him into this situation. Why? To test and then to build his faith. It's the exact same reason that God, Jesus brings ministry opportunities our way even today. I'm convinced of that, that so often he brings ministry opportunities to us for that reason. Have you ever thought about it that way? Has it ever crossed your mind that when somebody comes to you and says to you, we could really use your help with friends speak, or somebody comes to you and says, hey, listen, we think you would be the exact right person to lead women who are, are, are dealing with recovery on a rafting trip, or somebody comes to you and says, I think you would be a wonderful discussion group leader for Explore God. Have you ever thought this might be a test from God? that this might be a moment in time in which he's testing me. Where am I? Am I a follower of Jesus or am I just a fan of Jesus? Has it ever crossed your mind that this particular moment might be a moment in time in which he's testing me? Do I believe that the one who walked out of the tomb can and will stu- still do miracles today in the lives of people? That every time that we're presented with a ministry opportunity, it is our opportunity to display that our faith in Jesus is genuine, it's real, it's alive, we're in it with him. Now, I'm not saying that to say that you have to say yes to every particular ministry opportunity, but if we're not saying yes to more than we're saying no, I think we need to pause and think about it this morning. A few years ago, I engaged in a practice uh, in which at the start of a week, I would just look back on the previous week and I'd jot down the different ways that I had witnessed God show up in my life that previous week. And what I began to realize after several weeks of doing this is that the more that I said yes to the work God was doing, the more Jesus just showed up. And the more he showed up in me and through me, the stronger my faith became. And this is what Jesus says. This is what John says why Jesus' motivation was to invite Philip. Test and build. Test and build. Say yes and I'll increase your faith. Say yes to the opportunity I'll increase your faith. If you talk to people around this place who are actively involved in ministry, and so many of you are, again, I'm not trying to, I I, I don't want to just put a guilt trip here. I'm trying to encourage you. If you talk to people who are actively engaged in ministry, listen to them. They'll talk about, it was scary, didn't know if I had the time, didn't know if I had the energy, didn't know if I had the knowledge, but I got into this thing, and my faith is stronger than it's been. Why is that? Because they see God work, and they see God carry out his plans, and they see God do great things in the lives of people. 
And that's why it's so important that we're not just standing on sidelines and we're not just applauding and we're not sharing, we're not just fans, but we're actually followers and we're participants in the work of God and what he's doing in this place. The one thing that you can actually trust is this, is that he has a plan. He's got a plan to address whatever need he brings to your attention. He does. What's his plan? His plan is the same today as it was then. What's that? Well, just as he multiplied what would amounted to little more than an appetizer, you know, a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and he used it to feed 10,000 plus, his plan is still the same. It's to use whatever you offer him. Whatever it is, your money, your time, your attention, your knowledge, your prayer, your presence. And he'll use it to do more good than you can begin to think, begin to imagine. Because he is the multiplier of all things, big and small. I believe this with all my heart. That when you take the time to simply be present and listen to a person who's going through a hard time, that helps in their healing process to a greater degree than you'll ever know. That when you make the decision to open up your home and host other people and you invite them in and you do that consistently, it creates community and it creates connection to a degree you didn't really think possible. That when you continue to go out into the world and share your faith in Jesus Christ with other people, that it plants more seeds for the kingdom of God then you can begin to even realize or dream this morning because he is the multiplier of all things. And we may not have much to give, but in the hands of Jesus, it's more than enough. The real issue is this. Will you give? Will you give? When you see one of those huge needs in the world and it comes your direction, will your impulse be to to throw up your hands and say, yeah, that's too bad, that's, that's a shame, I hate that's going on in the world, but I, I just don't really have anything of significance to offer. Or will you throw open your hands and say, Jesus, I don't have much, but you can have what I have and do with it what only you can do. Many, many years ago, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was asked to explain all the amazing work he had been able to accomplish in the world. Uh, through his work, so many people had been served, so many lives had been transformed and changed. So, that, so somebody wanted to know, how'd you do it? How'd you pull it off? And this is the answer that William Booth gave. He said this, he said, for the past 80 years, God has had all there is of William Booth. What might happen in our homes, what might happen in this church, what might happen in our community, what might happen in our world, if God had all of you, if he had all of me. So this is the question I want to leave you with this morning and ask you to pray about and think about today. The question is simply this, what does Jesus need most from you this week? And if you're not sure, then ask the people that you're closest to, the people that you see every day, the people around you, and ask them this simple question, what do you need? What do you need in your life right now? And then offer them what you have. It may not be much. Maybe all you have to offer is an encouraging text. Maybe all you have to offer is a cup of coffee. 
May I, all you have to offer is to, to go over to their home and be with them for a short period of time. It's okay because you're not on your own. You're with the Holy Spirit. And with you and the Holy Spirit, it is more than enough. Thank you.